All right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, let me tell you where we are in here. Peter is addressing the churches in Asia that are facing persecution. And he writes a letter to encourage the Christians in their response to those difficult times. And he begins by reminding them of their relationship to God through their salvation. Um, If you remember, he starts out talking about how they were elected, they were chosen for salvation, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, by the Spirit of God, for obedience, they were saved by the blood. They were chosen for an eternal, heavenly inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, reserved for them in heaven, They themselves are also protected to get there. And this leads to a discussion that Peter has of the salvation of their souls. And he mentions that their salvation was spoken of by the prophets, if you remember that, completed by the Holy Spirit. It was uh, by the gospel preached by the apostles. And that even the angels take an interest in salvation. And because of the future that's prepared for them, they are to hope in this eternal inheritance. And we're going to see the balance of that today. It's not just a hope where you sit down and hope and do nothing. It's a hope, but you still do something. And we're going to see that today. But a hope in the eternal inheritance. And they are reminded to be holy, if you will. Remember, he talks about girding up their minds, preparing their minds for action, being holy. And all that was leading up to the honor of God or the fear or the reverence of God. You know, the fear of God, uh, the way Peter presents it here, should be uppermost in their minds when they give thought to their redemption. They've been redeemed, redeemed from sin to walk in holiness. That's us too. And redeemed to enter their glory in heaven in the eternal kingdom and a redemption bought by the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we talked a lot about that last week. But it begins with a life with God and then it goes to living their own lives before God and ending this part with the result of how to love one another because of the word of God. So their relationship with God and then how they are to walk in that relationship, salvation, and now the idea of, okay, what do you do as far as your relationship with others, other believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? So let's start reading verse 22 of chapter 1. Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers And the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So Peter begins chapter 1 with give thought to God. 
And then he goes, give thought to yourselves and to your salvation. And now it's give thought to one another. Give thought to one another. With all the persecutions happening to them, with all the horrible circumstances that they're going through, with all the losses that they're experiencing from that, along with their relationship with God, utmost in their minds should be their relationships with one another. Now you see what he's doing here. Now he's, he said, get your th- mind on God. Now get your mind on your salvation. Now get your mind on others. In other words, get it off yourself and your problems and get it on the others, especially those who are going through persecution. <clears throat> After we explore these verses and take a look at them really close, I think we ought to be able to discern just how important this relationship that we have with one another really is. The, the summary statement to verses 22 to 25, it might be something like this. Love one another fervently from the heart because you have been born again through the word of God. That'd be a good summary statement from this. So let's start with verse 22 and look at that. Since or because, we could say, you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love. You see, I got that underlined. Love of the brothers and sisters fervently love one another from the heart. Okay? What do you think I see as one of the key words in these verses? Love. Love. There you go. Pretty good. All right. Love. Um, love's mentioned twice right here in this verse. Now, the key to understanding what Peter is saying lies, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it lies in knowing the Greek words that are used here for the word love. Okay? The first one, a sincere love, is um, phileo, a brotherly love. It's the word where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Okay? That's the same root word that's used in the first one. So a sincere love there, um, I can put it this way, since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere Philadelphia-type love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love, and what do you think the Greek word there for love is going to be? You guys have heard it before. Agape, yeah. Love one another with an agape love from the heart. So he's using two different words for love there. All right? If he's doing that, there must be a reason. It's not like Peter's saying, well, I'm, I'm bored with this word love. I'm going to use a different one. He's using two different root words there for a reason. For a reason. Now, the, for, when you look at the Philadelphia type love, phileo, um, the normal Greek usage refers to love for a related person or a family member or a friend or a neighbor or an employer or a servant, someone like that. That word is never used for us loving God. All right? But it most often refers to the love of man, loving your fellow man. It's a word that means kindness. It's a word that means affection. It means... Uh, it has an emotional aspect to it. It's that kind of love. 
It's the same word that's interesting. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 14 of First Peter. Chapter 5, verse 13. Greet one another with a kiss of love. The love that's used there is the phileo or the, the Philadelphia type love. That's the type of love that this is. Now, we, t- we tend to think of it as a certain kind of love, a certain way of loving. However, it has a lot to do with the object of your love, the object. Uh, phileo, that word there, is a, it's a mutual love. And most often it's used in the New Testament of affection for those who are spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual siblings, okay? So when we talk about love one another, okay, the, the love that we have just because we are all children of God, most often that word phileo, Philadelphia, is used. Now, brotherly love, it's, it's not a love that you love in a brotherly way. That's not the idea but it's love those who are brothers. That's the idea of that, that word right there. Not love those as though they are your brothers, but love those because they are your brothers. So he immediately begins reminding us that there's a certain love that we have for one another. There's a certain love for the, for the b- believers in those churches that they have for one another just because they are of the same family just because they are siblings in the Lord, if you will. So that's the first kind of love. Love you have purified since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere Philadelphia-type love, a brotherly love, okay, of the brothers and sisters, then fervently agape love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. Uh, the word agape, and I, I know you guys have heard teaching on this a, a lot in, in your lives, but um, that kind of love is an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God. So he's saying love in the way that, that God is, because what does the Bible tell us? God is love. Well, that's the word that's used there. So that word is an attribute of God. So the first thing he's telling us is you got to love like God is love. We're commanded to do that. It's also a Christian virtue. The whole law is summed up in what? Jesus said to them. That's right. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the commands in the Old Testament, all the law in the Old Testament is summed up in those two statements, those two statements of love. So it's a Christian virtue to love with agape love. It's also a chief test of, yeah, Ashton. All of us have relatives, cousins, aunts, whatever. And, but so many of them have no concept of what you are teaching right now have no relationship in that regard and it's just go to church and sit down and be quiet at church no relationship with the Lord and no 
relationship with the brothers. I'm looking here this morning, and and you're bringing a bunch of stuff over here that men can't won't use and men don't want. But the ladies love it. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that this kind of believer love that is demonstrated among us all the time. Okay, and, and you're right. We're going to discuss later on why that is. Why unbelievers don't have that brotherly love, but yet we're commanded to have that brother. Now notice the difference. We naturally have the love, the brotherly love. The fact that we're, we're all Christians, we're all believers in Jesus Christ. We have that automatically being in the same family. But notice Peter is commanding us to have the agape love, okay? Which tells me it does not necessarily come just naturally. It's something we have to work at. It's something we have to do. Ed, yes? I, I tell my kids and my close friends and all, you know, we, we're commanded in the Bible to love. And that is an aspect of loving no matter what. I said, but, you know, they'll say, well, you don't love me anymore if you get mad at me or something like that. If, you, if I, you know, that person does a, a sin against me or anything. I said, it's, no, it's not that I don't love you. I said, Jesus didn't love everything we did and do. I said, I don't have to like what you do. I don't have to like that you do drugs or anything else. But I'm commanded to love you. Yes, Amen. that's right. And you know what? That's a demonstration of love when you discipline them. Because the, what does the Lord do? The Lord loves whom he what? Chastens. Chastens, that's right. Disciplines, that's right. That's an act of love. That's an act of love. Um, the chief test of Christian discipleship. Are you really a Christian? You want to know? Well, then look at this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have love, that's the agape love, okay? If you express that love to one another, that's, that's a fruit right there of the Spirit. It's the highest motive for moral actions. The highest motive we have to do what we are supposed to do are our moral actions, how we treat one another. The highest motive is, okay? Uh, let me remind you, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a book about what? It's a book about love. And it talks a lot about how to love. And then it gives three really great motives. It talks about faith, hope, and love. Peter has talked about faith. Peter has talked about hope. And guess what he's talking about now? Love. But what, he's, what did Paul say? Faith, hope, and love... But the greatest of these, the most moral motivation you have, is which one of those three? Love. Love. Now, if you would ask me as a brand new believer, uh, which would it be? I would have said, well, it's got to be faith because, you know, it has to do with salvation. You get saved and everything. Faith in God, trusting God and everything. Uh, and, and hope, you know, that's our heavenly thing. But Paul says the greatest motivation is love. And that's where we're going to here. Uh, agape is love of a rational good that will that desires the highest good of the one being loved 
even at the expense of self, which Doris was talking about there. It's desiring the highest good for someone, even at our own expense. Um, Let me read to you a little bit out of Philippians chapter 2. Begin verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's agape love. Agape love is you are more important than I am as far as what I need to look at in my life and what I do. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Why? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the attitude he had. Um, What he did for us and loving us was more important than his own personal comforts, if you will. See, agape love is not the result of being in a relationship. It's a choice. It's a choice of doing something. It's the choice of an action in our lives. And we may love God that way, and we include that, but we're also supposed to love our spiritual siblings. We're commanded in the Bible to love our neighbors. We're commanded in the Bible to love our enemies. Right now, though, Peter is is centering on loving your spiritual sibling, your brother and, and sister in Christ. This kind of love originates from God. It's God's love to us. It's God's love that's been demonstrated to us. And Peter talks about from the beginning. It's God's love that we have been chosen for salvation. That's God's love. All parts of salvation are are traced back to God's love. His caring and his ongoing forgiveness of us goes back to God's love. And ultimately, it's God's love that says we're going to be with him for all eternity. So with the Philadelphia love, the phileo love, um, that's love because of who we are and our relationship with one another. But with agape, we love because of who God is and what he has done. That's why we have that love. We love in response to God's love. And that's how we are to love one another. Now let's put both of those into context, if you will. So back to verse 22. Since or because you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters. In other words, I'm going to tell you what that means. Since you have obeyed the truth. Since you've obeyed the truth, the command of the gospel to believe and receive, that has purified your souls for salvation. Or I could put it another way. Since God has given you a new heart. Uh, Remember uh, Ezekiel. Um, God speaking, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful 
and follow my ordinances. That's since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Since you've become children of God is another way to put it. Since you are part of Christ's church, his family. And that puts you into a family where you love one another because you are brothers. And now we're commanded to love each other in an even greater way. Because you have one kind of love for the brethren, you should love them in another kind or in another way. Another way of saying it, love the brethren with the same kind of love that God has for you. Now that's a high standard. That's a high standard. Love one another with the same kind of love that God has for you. Um, I read to you, from John chapter 13, verse 34. Uh, I'll go on to 35. By this, all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Verse 34 is, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as what? I have loved you. Jesus is saying we are to love one another in the same way that he loves us. I am to love you guys the same way Jesus loves me. That's the standard. All right? If I want to know what my love should look like, all I have to do is look at his love. All right? That one another, love one another. What are the other one another's in the New Testament? That's not the only one. And and that one another... 16 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to love one another. 16 times. What are some of the other one another's in the, in the New Testament that come to mind? Serve one another. Serve one another? Pray for one another. Pray for one another? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the list really quickly to you, okay? And, and take all this in because when we ask the question, okay... I'm to love you guys. But how do I do that? What does that mean practically? What am I supposed to do in loving you guys? Well, you know what? All the other one another's in the New Testament basically tell you how to love one another. I'll read those to you kind of quickly here. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up or provoke, stimulate one another to love and good works, show hospitality to one another, employ the gifts that God has given for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, to one another. And then there's some, some one another's that you do not do. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. 
Let us, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Those are the, the one another's that the Bible gives that basically all add up to loving one another. And Peter intensifies this love for the brethren with two modifiers. First one, he says, love fervently. Love fervently. Uh, it's the idea of deeply. Uh, that, that word is used in, in Greek as far as stretching something out to the max. Like you stretch out one of your muscles as far as it will stretch. That would be used for there. Uh, stretch to the max as far as you can. Uh, it's also used for like a stringed instrument, like a, a guitar string. And, and stringing it as tight as you can to get it to where it's at its best. Stretch to the fullest limit. To the fullest limit. As far as you can stretch it, stretch it. In other words, love fervently. Love to the best of your ability, as much as you can, to the greatest limit. Love one another. And then the other modifier is from the heart. Um, if you have the ESV, I think it says pure heart. Love from the heart. That means uh, we're doing this, and we're not motivated to do it by an external legalistic requirement. We're not doing it just because oh, Peter says do it. Jesus said do it. Well, I'm doing it just because he said to do it. I really don't want to. No, love one another from the heart, from, from within, the, the seat of your inner life, if you will. Out of the heart comes evil, murders, disputations, and all of that. But guess what? Out of the heart comes love. Out of the heart comes love. Ashton. You know, when the, the church began and a number of people came to, into faith in, in the first two, three chapters of, of, Axis, of Acts, and um, love uh, showed itself very early because there were people that didn't have much. They, were, they didn't have food or clothing or whatever, and they were needy. And so the church members then were giving and, mm. and, and just pouring out the love in, these, in this giving. Well, then there came this one guy, uh, you probably know him, uh, Ananias, and he had a wife that was kind of crooked. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute, was so was Ananias now. Wasn't just Sapphira, wasn't just it was also Ananias was crooked, okay? Both of them, all right? Yeah. All right. Got to be fair. But they... They're they said, yeah, we sold this piece of property, uh, but we're going to bring it, bring it all and give it to you and to the, to the people. And that was not the truth. Uh, but it just demonstrates that the, they had a model in the church of people doing that, of yeah. giving things freely to people that didn't have it. From the very beginning. From the very beginning, that's right. Okay, so we're supposed to love from our heart. That's how we're supposed to love. Well, how do we love from our heart? How, how does love get into our heart? I mean, you know, it, I say love from your heart. Well, okay, but how do I get my heart to love? Because frankly, the human part of me doesn't want to do the love because the human part of me wants to do the self-love. But now you want me to love others. How does that Get there. There's a certain verse. Yeah, Doris. 
love when we realize and when we study and we get into the word and we know how much he loved us. Okay. So in response. I love you because, I mean, you know, you realize that, you know, the love will come naturally. It will, I think it does to most Christians that are, that truly know the Lord. Okay. Uh, You use the word naturally. I use the word by the spirit. All right. We're seeing the same thing. I know we are. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been what? Poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's where the love comes from. It doesn't come from my humanness. It doesn't, it doesn't come from my desire just to make everybody whatever. It comes because God's love has been put in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And guess what? It's been put there by the Holy Spirit, all right? Now we go to Galatians, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your heart, what's the first fruit? Love, Love, isn't it? Love. So God has put love in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit that the Holy Spirit works out in our lives is love. So um, as I was first studying this, I'm thinking about, I don't know if I can do it, and I'm a reminder, it's not me doing it, it's God doing it through me. That's how we are to love. Loving one another the way that God loves us has to be from the heart, folks. A heart of obedience, because it doesn't come from our natural flesh. You know, our, our humanity tends to measure our loving according to the object of our love, and whether or not it's deserving it. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life. Uh, How often do we judge the spiritual sibling as whether or not they deserve our love? Okay? Uh, Our love for one another is not based on the person that we are loving. Whether or not we think they go to church enough, whether or not we think they serve enough, whether or not we think they give enough, whether or not we think they love back, whether or not we think that they're walking with the Lord the way they should be, uh, with or without sin or whatever, none of that is there. We are to love the way the Lord loves us, okay? Uh, Love in that way. And um, uh, God chose to love you, all right? And how many of you really deserve that love? We didn't, did we? Okay? And we're to love the way God loves, okay? So it's not based on the other person deserving our love it's based on the love we give no matter what no matter what yes yes woody we had this uh, our daughters uh, went to school and we taught this one girl uh, in school up in uh, Hackensack, new jersey anyway um her her husband passed away suddenly young young man and uh boy that really blew her away she was really in a hurt locker and everything uh, but she started, she wrote articles about you know how how much she loved him, how much she missed him, and all that. But, but it was not in a it was really in a neat way mm-hmm. that she did it. So I you know I just I talked to my daughter, I talked to Christine about it, and I said maybe I, I, I should give her a call. So um, I just sent her a note on on the uh, on the uh, over the phone over the uh, no, 
I sent her a note. And anyway, uh, last night she called, and she was so uh, so excited about that. You know, that mm -hmm. it made her feel really good that good. you know that somebody would think of her that way. You know, and uh, I think little things like that sometimes you know we don't think about it, mm -hmm. but we can really help people out that way, showing love. Yeah, it's it's the little things and the big things. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And now, as if Peter is expecting the question, why should I love like this? As if he's expecting that, he's going to give us response. Look at verse 23. For, all right, love one another fervently for or because you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In other words, because they have been born again. Well, he talked about that back in verse 3. We can't lo love like this, Ashton. This is what you were saying. We can't love like this without regeneration, which he's talked about. We can't love like this without the new heart. We can't love like this without becoming new. God put the love in you. That's right. All right? And having been born again is the idea of something that occurred in the past but has continuing results in the future. Loving like this is consistent with being born again as a child of God. Remember what John said, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments. Let me tell you what's interchangeable. Born of God and love the children. Those are interchangeable. I, he could have written, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ loves the children of God. All right? So, there's, there's a test right there for salvation. Do you love the children of God? Not the phileo, but the agape. Do you love the brothers and sisters in the Lord the way God commands you to do that? Because you've been born of the imperishable seed. Now, seed, you know, you think of seeds. It's, the, um, it's a representative or the source of life, Right? Um, Linda and I are already planning our garden for, for next spring, all right? So what do I do? I go out and say, in this box, I want onions, in this box, tomatoes, in this box, beans. There, that's all I have to do. And then onions and beans and tomatoes are going to come up, right? No, I have to do something. What do I need to do? Pray for them. Well, I better pray for them, but I better plant the seeds first. I better plant the seeds first. The seed needs to be planted. Well, that's what happens with us being born again. We've been born again to a new life by a seed that has been planted in us. And what is that seed? What is that seed? What is the seed that begins the new life in us? The Word of God. Specifically, now, the Word of God that's used here is the word rhema, not logos. Logos refers to the entire word of God. Rhema is used when you want to talk about a specific part of the word of God. 
what would be the specific part of the word of God that would be the seed that caused us to be born again? The gospel. The gospel. He's talking about the gospel here. We were born again by the gospel, by the, by the truth, the collection of truths that we call the gospel, the gospel that was preached to us. When the gospel is believed by faith, it becomes the imperishable seed, the eternal seed that brings the new birth and the new life that endures forever. Now, Peter provides that truth, if you will, and he's quoting from all places Isaiah. I'm sorry, Don, but it seems like the more I'm reading now, the more I keep seeing Isaiah, 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 <laughs> as you taught us, okay? Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. A voice calls out, or a voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is like grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. All flesh. He's talking about people here. All right? Um, grass. You can imagine Peter looking out and seeing the grass growing on the hillside. And then above that grass, he sees flowers coming up that are just absolutely beautiful. Beautiful petals and everything. So two types of plants here. The normal run-of-the-mill grass. Okay? And then the, the wonderful, beautiful flowers. And they don't last forever. They don't last forever. They perish, if you will. They make a lovely picture together. Uh, but you have the common grass and the unique beauty of the flowers. They eventually are going to wither and die. And the beautiful petals are going to fall to the ground. And he's talking about here, that's the example of flesh. Living beings, all people. The grass, if you will, being the quote-unquote common people. Not really educated, maybe not rich, uh, not having a lot. And then you have all these beautiful flowers. That's representative of the people who are the leaders, the rich. Uh, they have it all. Uh, they have the power and the influence and everything like that. He's saying, it doesn't make any difference which one you are. It doesn't make any difference. They all wither. They all Pass away. Calvin said of this portion, how fading and miserable is the first birth of man and how great is the new birth. Interesting statement. And it says about death, it reduces men to nothing. Death reduces man to nothing. Until man understands this and he's not ready for God's grace. The word of the Lord endures forever. And so does what the word does for believers. That endures forever. The seed of eternal life. So we might say that the first practical admonition, the first command of doing something relating to others from Peter, and this is to people who are in persecution, is to fervently love from the heart. He's going to mention it again later on. Why do you think Peter thinks this is so important to people being persecuted? Why would this be his, his first one out of the chute, if you will, about, okay, you're being persecuted. The first thing I want to tell you, love one another. Why would that be so important? First of all, I'm going to see, I've, I've heard it demonstrated over and over this morning already. 
All right? I've heard a lot of loving one another this morning already. People visiting people, people caring for people, you know, classmates here and everything like that, knowing what's going on, taking care of them. So it's already there. So take what we have right here and all the the things, all the the helps that we need to do to one another, the difficulties that, that some of our classmates are going through. Take all that and add on persecution. Add on, now we have a family that has no father because he's been killed. And now we have a family over here that has no money because their business was taken away. So add on all these plus what we have right here. And what do you have? A lot more needs and a lot more opportunities to love one another, to practice the one another's. All right? Now, people going through persecution, God could say, okay, persecution gone. Health given. Put these people back to life. Give this guy back his job. Doesn't do that. But these people are still cared for. How are they cared for? One another. One another. Exactly. I've heard it said uh, kind of this way. Our hands are the hands of the Lord when it comes to loving one another. What I have belongs to the Lord, and that's what I'm to use to love one another. That's why I believe Peter begins with this. The best thing that could happen to someone who's in persecution is to be loved by a, a, a spiritual sibling. Ashton. There's a model that's here in Timberlake now. Uh, Tom Spacek passed away uh, about six months ago, or almost a year maybe. Uh, the funeral was right here. His brothers spoke. Um, and what I and and she would and Miss uh, I forgot what her first name is, but Melissa. Who? Melissa. Melissa. Uh, and she was pregnant when he passed away, and so now they've got four children. I've heard that through the Sunday school and through the people uh, around her and here in Timberlake that that. They are caring for her, for her children, helping her, uh, helping her with the ministering to the children and so on. And that is a demonstration right here in Timberlake that's happening right now. Uh, let me, well, I'll quit preaching. That's okay. That's okay. Let me close just a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians. Okay? Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that what? We may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Good closing right there. Let's pray. Oh, yes. Go ahead, Jean. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then I'll bring that up. Thanks. I forgot about that. Heavenly Father, we bless you. Uh, Lord God, I pray that we would be obedient to your word and that we would fervently, from the heart, love one another, Heavenly Father. Lord, I see that going on already. I'm encouraged by that so much. Lord, may we continue it and do it even more. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Okay. Um, the next two weeks, we will not, next two Sundays, we will not be meeting for Sunday school. Okay. Um, but during that time period, if any prayer requests come up from you guys that you want the class to know about, let me know about it or let Gene know about it and we'll get it out to the whole class. Okay? All right, you're dismissed. I also